0: uh, But today we close out a series called Instinct, where we looked at one chapter in the Bible here, really just one main story even, from Genesis chapter 3, because Genesis chapter 3... Shows you kind of the first interactions of God, man, and then this serpent in the garden. And what we see is this: is that every one of the characters in the story has a natural tendency or a natural instinct. Now, when we look at the instincts of man, there's not a lot to be really excited about or to be proud about because many of our instincts that come from our sinful nature they're all bad. You know, they're, 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 there's not a lot of great ones. And so our whole journey through life is us trying to get closer and closer to God God so that we adopt His nature and we move further and further away from our nature, like like our nature. We talked about this. Like we are masters of justification. Have you ever noticed that? Like whenever we come up with something dumb, we come up with brilliant excuses as to why we were dumb, and then convince us that our dumbness was really not that dumb. That's kind of smart in a lot of ways, really. If you, if you if you look at it like this, and so we're masters of justification. We 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 blame other people. We hide from God. We're motivated by what we see. There's a lot of things in there that we look at and we like. I probably shouldn't be like that. I need to work away from that. And the way that we work away from that is we draw closer and closer to God. And as we just hang out with God or spend time with God or just get closer to God, we just slowly begin to pick up on things. As we renew our mind with Scripture, we just begin to pick up on things. And we, ad- we abandon, hopefully, the human instinct and we adopt the divine instinct. Last week we looked at what was really fascinating is that the serpent has instincts. He's incredibly crafty he has no force of power he operates out of the force of just deceit and 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 trickery it's it's fascinating and so i'd encourage you go watch online go grab a free cd in the back but today we will look at probably what's the most important piece of the puzzle because this is what you need to know how you view god ultimately affects everything else in your life what you think god is like who you think he is how you think god looks at you all of it has a ripple effect into everything that you do in life the way you think about life the way you think about yourself the way you think about other people the way you make decisions all of it flows out of this one thing when you look at god in your mind what do you see how do you view god because if you have even the slightest wrong view of god it will lead you into a bad direction so today we look at the instinct of our heavenly father the instincts Of God, Let's pray before we read the story. Jesus, we pray that as we unpack these words, these holy words, that God, you would speak to us. That today, God, we would walk out of here with a different thought, a new thought, a renewed mind. God, help us to walk out of this place knowing you a little bit better, God, and drawing closer and closer to you, Lord. That is our prayer today in Jesus' name. And we all said... I mean, if you have your Bible, go to Genesis three, or you can read along on the screen. We're going to pick up the story about the halfway mark. And so if you've been here, you kind of know the deal that there's Adam and Eve in a garden and there's a serpent there. And the serpent comes with this, like, Hey, what about that one tree? Have you thought about it lately? There's one tree that God said you're not supposed to touch. Why is that? Why would God keep you from that? And he gets them duped and tricked into thinking about the tree and eventually taking the fruit of the tree, which is the one and only tree. Like, think about this. In God's perfect world, there was absolute freedom and just one rule. Isn't that pretty cool? Like parents, you got a bunch of rules, right? God had one rule. That was it. It was like, I got one tree and everything else is free. Everything is good and I'm generous and I'm going to bless you, but you just, just, I got one thing. Just don't touch my one thing and then you will be all good forever. And, and of course, what did they do? Yeah, yeah, they grabbed the one thing. And so they grabbed the one thing. They realize what they've done is wrong. Their innocence is lost. They start hiding from God. But look at verse number 8. This is where it picks up. In their sin, when they realize it's all gone south, this is where we pick up verse number 8. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord called and said, where are you? Adam answered, well, I heard you in the garden and I was afraid because I was naked. And so I hid. And God says, but who told you that you were naked? Did you eat from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? The man said, well, the woman that you, uh, you gave me, she gave me some fruit from the tree and I ate it. And then the Lord God looked at the woman and said, what is this you've done? And the woman said, well, the serpent deceived me. And I ate. And so then God looked at the serpent and said, what have you done? <laughs> or he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity, a battle even between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains and childbearing severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. To Adam, he said, because you listened to your wife and ate fruit from the tree about which I commanded you, you must not eat from it. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil, you will eat food from it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow, you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken. For dust you are... And to dust you will return. Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all living. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. What a crazy story. I mean, there's some weird stuff in there. There's some stuff that's going to go over our head. There's some stuff that might take explanation that I might not have time to get into today. But what I want to focus on purely is this, is what is God doing? What is God's response? How does God react? What is God doing in the story? And the first thing that you need to know and we talked about this weeks ago, if you missed it, this is going to be a good refresher um, for those of you who did here. But I'm telling you this, that the most important thing that you need to know about God, when you think about what your picture, mental picture, your view, your understanding of God is this. This is the most number one important thing that you can think about is this, is that God is Love you need to know this. And here's why, here's the premise of why I say this from this story. You've got to ask yourself a question. Why is there even a story to begin with? Like, why is there even a story? Why is there even a Genesis chapter three? And it's simply because God is love. Have you ever thought about like that? Like God was infinitely happy in the universe, His Father, Son, and Spirit, in loving harmony, beautiful, perfect, loving relationship with each other. And out of that, they just decided, we got so much love, let's bring other people into this thing and let's love them too. The, the only reason there is a, a big bang, a cosmic bang that creates a universe which has a planet that's that far away from the sun that has the ability to produce life... Is because God wanted to invite someone into loving relationship with him. So that even the reason why there is a story, the reason, if you ever wondered, like, why, why do we even exist? If you ever have those moments where you did too many drugs and you got super philosophical, you're like, why do we even exist? Then now you know the answer. You exist because God is love. Let's, let's go, let's go. Why is there even a story in Genesis 3 where there's a garden, right? And think about this. There were two specific trees in the garden. One was called the tree of life. The other was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Not only is there a story in an existence because God is love. I want you to realize this is that God is love. And that's why you were created. And in the very fact that God created a tree called the knowledge of good and evil and told you that you couldn't eat it was because God was love. You know, okay, let, let me explain that. If you want to have a loving relationship now, now God's nature is love. You need to know that like God, because you and I love people and do loving things. That's not God. God does that. God is love. Like it actually defines who he is. God is love. You and I are not love. We just try to love and we try to reflect the love of God and we, we do love as an action. God is both love, the noun and the action. Are you hearing me? So God is love. But think about this. You cannot engage in a loving relationship without freedom. Did you know that you cannot make someone love you? Can you? You can love someone freely and you can invite them into a loving relationship, but you cannot force someone to love you. That gets weird. Don't ever try that. Okay. You cannot force someone to love you. And so God has to create two things. Number one is he has to create what we would call is a free moral agent, meaning he has to create somebody who has the ability to choose whatever they want. Does that make sense? So you are a free moral agent, aren't you? Nod your head and you smile at me like you know what I'm talking about. You have the ability to wake up every morning and to choose to do good or evil, to choose to eat breakfast or skip it. You can choose to wear this or that. You can choose to go to work or call in sick. You have all kinds of choices before you every morning that you wake up. But you are a free moral agent and you have the ability to do what? Choose. Okay. Now, here's the other thing. You can't just have the ability to choose, but you also must combine it with the second thing, which is this. You must combine it with an environment where choice is accessible. Does that make sense? Imagine if I'm God and my only rule is that you can't eat chocolate cake. Okay? Hey, what a cruel God I am. What an evil dictator of a being I am. You cannot have chocolate cake. How many of you would not want to live in that world where chocolate cake? Yeah, yeah. But let's just say, let's say that's my rule. You cannot have chocolate cake. But let's say that I send you into a room or into an environment where there is no chocolate cake. Does that make any sense at all? Why? That would be my one rule. Why? Because now I've given you a rule, but I've given you no environment where choice is accessible. So you could even be a free moral will agent, but you can't be that inside of an environment where choice isn't accessible. So I need you to understand this is that God created you this way. The only reason there's a story, the only reason there's a sin is because God was love and he needed you to be able to choose to respond to his love. And that's why, see, here's the problem. Because many people look at God and they, they have this Philosophical breakdown where they talk about God and evil. Well, if evil really, really existed, then either God's not loving or God's not all powerful. It's a flawed argument. And I'll tell you why. It's because here's the deal. For Him to be love, which is who He is, He has to give you a free will and put you in a free will environment. In that environment, evil is a possibility. If God eradicates evil, then God has to eradicate you. God doesn't do that because you have infinite value simply because you're made in his likeness and his image. And so the answer of evil is only solved by the fact that God, number one, feels pain and then enters into this world to embrace pain, take on the sin of the world so that you might be save are you, you see me so far here so you just need to know that of, of the nature of God of why you're even here of why you exist of why there's a story of why there was a tree or why there was an evil is all rooted in this big idea that God is love it's not even just something that he does it's the very essence of his being that's who God is and i'm going to show you more about what he's like are you ready so so again the reason why there's even any of this going on is because God is love but i want you to see this now the second thing that you need to know is this is that God is in passionate pursuit of you. Now, have you ever had your children disobey you? Okay, that's a dumb question. Or a friend, or uh, you know, an employee, or somebody do something wrong. How many know you have a natural response to when somebody wrongs you, isn't it? And it usually is uh, vengeance. You know, usually it's punishment. It's 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 all, all these things. Like if if somebody ever does you wrong, how many have a shun list? you ever shun somebody? Yeah, yeah, they ever go on a wall and then, you know, you you, you get a voodoo doll, you do, you poke them, and you know you get all kinds of weird things that people do. I want you to see something. That God's first reaction to sin was, have you ever done this? I told you so. How many of you enjoy the power of a good? I told you so. It's powerful, isn't it? I told you not to do. I told you so. Didn't I say that? That's why I had said. Look at God. So Adam and Eve sin in the Garden of Eden. Look at what God does. Verse number 8 and 9. Toward evening they heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. And so they hid themselves from among the trees. And the Lord God called to Adam and said, where are you? I want you to know that God's first reaction to sin is just pursuit. That's it. Like, "Oh, oh, oh, something is wrong. And I'm coming looking for them. Something is wrong, and I'm going to go rescue them. Something is wrong, and I need to go find out why. And he is in passionate pursuit of you because God's first reaction to sin, because normally we're guilt-based. And so when we do something wrong, we automatically feel bad, and we hear voices in the back of our head, and then we beat ourselves up. That God's first reaction to sin was not guilt, and it was not vengeance, and it was not I told you so. His first response to sin was simply to come looking for you. How beautiful is that? Like, hey, first and foremost, let me find you and make sure you're okay. We'll deal with the mess later. But the most important thing is that you are with me, that we are together. Like, that's the most important thing to God. And so he is in passionate pursuit of you. I I want you to just kind of like recognize this, this idea. That God in this story is walking and he is calling. Look at Revelation chapter three, verse 20. Jesus is saying the same thing. He goes, hey, just here I am. I stand at the door and I do what? I knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with him and he with me. We will share a meal together. What was the point of Jesus pursuing you? That he might have fellowship with you. That you might be with him. That there might be relationship. That God didn't die to give you a new set of rules. How ridiculous. But God... God did all of this so that he might have a loving relationship with you. So I want you to see God is this. God is the God that is walking, that is knocking, that is calling, and that is pursuing you. And that was his divine instinct, is when something went wrong, it wasn't, you know what, we're gonna blow the whole thing up. We're just gonna destroy it all. How dare they? How could they? You're such a disappointment to me. How could you? I told you not to. This is what I said would happen. Go to your room. It wasn't that passionate pursuit of you. So the nature of God is that he is love, not just something that he does, but something that he is. And that he is in passionate pursuit of you Everybody say but okay. But I mean, there's more, there's more to the story than that. Number three is this, is that God is just like, and his justice only comes from his love. You need to know that. And so what happens after this, and I won't take the time because it's several scriptures. We read it earlier, is that God begins to find out what happened. And, you know, Adam blames his wife and wife blames the serpent. There's no one else around. So the serpent's like, I guess I did it. And God begins to give out what? Consequence. Did you notice that? All right. Look, serpent, you're, you're, you're hosed. This is what's going to happen to you. Adam, this is what you got. It's going to be hard. Thorns, thistles, and you have to get a sweat on your brow. Women, childbirth is going to be an issue now. And so like this was, and here's what you need to know is that, is that God is also Just but here's what you need to know and I've said this before and, and if you're a parent out there, please just dial in for a second. There's something great about consequences and responsibility. They make strong children. And as a parent, what you don't want to do is you don't want to be the parent who always swoops in and always saves the day and always rescues everything and always pays the bills. says, no sugar. It's okay. It's all you, baby, it's going to be all right. And, and just, and just totally swoop in and save everything. Because one of the things that your kids need in life to become actually strong, mature adults is they need consequence. Because the worst thing that you can do is protect them, protect them, protect them, protect them from everything. And then what happens is is they become old enough to where then their decisions and the consequences that come with those decisions are so severe. And they're so severe because they didn't learn from the little ones. Are you hearing me? Look at what God did in the realm of responsibility. God said, Adam, you're in charge. That's responsibility. Adam, this is your garden. take care of it. That's responsibility. You know what Adam should have done? Adam should have been taking care of the, uh, the, the garden should have been driving the serpent out of the garden. Didn't take responsibility. I'm telling you that one of the most important things you can do is take your kids and empower them with responsibility and then allow them to have consequences. And to not absolutely jump in and rescue every single little thing. Because what happens is, is at some point in their life they will be irresponsible and then they will not know how to adjust to the consequences that come to their life. Like you need to know this. Listen to what God says in Hebrews chapter 12. The writer of Hebrews is actually quoting the Old Testament. He says this My son, do not make light of the Lord's what? Discipline. Isn't that what parents do? God is a loving, heavenly father. He's not an abusive, mean, tyrant of a parent. He is a perfect parent. But in perfect parenting, there is discipline. And do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he. You don't do this, right? You don't. You ever walk up on the street? You ever be in Costco? Because Costco's borderline like a third world country sometimes. Like you feel like chaos could ensue. There's no traffic laws. Like I don't even know what's gonna happen next. I feel like that. Maybe y'all should pray for me. But you ever seen a kid like act out and wild out at Costco? Yeah. There, there, there's this one. There was this one time I'm at the pool. This is not too long ago. And there's these two daughters in the pool. And the older sister's like really giving it to the little sister and like beating her with a noodle. You ever get to get a noodle whooping? By your sibling, just a noodle beatdown, and 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 the dad stands up and he's like, "Stop that right now!" You know what she does? One more time, and I'm like, "Oh heck no! I'll jump in, I'll whoop you myself." Um, I'm a little sibling; I'm, I, I can I, I, hurts me when the little ones get beat on too much, and so uh, and so then like he's like, "You know what? That's it. Get out of the pool." Uh-uh. And I'm watching this whole thing, and I got sunglasses on because you know you're trying to like look. <laughs> Cause you're not trying to dime out the dad and make him feel really bad. You know, he's a bit embarrassed right now. And, he, and then he's like, and then he amps it up. He's like, that's it. That's it. You know what? If you don't get out of that pool, right, I'm going to come in there after you, Lisa. And I think her name was like, Lisa. You get out of that pool, right? Lisa, I promise. I'm like get in that pool right now, Lisa, if you do. And then you see this whole like debate ensue and, 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 the result is that the dad does nothing. And the kid goes, and I'm like, I wanted to spank that child. That was, I was in my heart, but I didn't. I didn't. Do you know why I didn't? Because that ain't my kid. Because that's wisdom. Yeah, that's true. I don't want to go to jail today. <laughs> and that guy was bigger than me. He would beat my tail. So e- either way, jail, beat up. None of that's good, okay? But the point is this. I didn't discipline that kid because that kid is not my kid. I don't discipline other people's kids. Have you ever, you ever seen me walk up to your kid and just give him a nice, you know, what for? Give him a nice, you know, get in the corner right now. Time out for you, sucker. I don't do that. Because they're not my kids. Are you, are you hearing me right now? Like, I only discipline my kids because they're mine, because I love them, and because I want them to grow up to be mature and healthy, functional, responsible citizens in the world. So why does God discipline you? Because you're His. And He loves you. Just the thought. So God gives out justice, and this is really the embodiment of what Jesus was. Jesus was the perfect reflection of who God was. So when Jesus comes along, the Bible says this is in John chapter one that John said when He came, He was full of grace and truth. Now we like the grace of God, right? Can I get a? Can I get a? What? What? Yeah, we all love the grace of God. We don't always like the truth of God, but the Bible says that Jesus was the full embodiment of grace. And truth, and it wasn't like 50, 50, You know, it was like you know, like it was a half truth and half grace. No, no it was a hundred percent grace and a hundred percent truth. And this is how God wants to invite us in that relationship because we're His kids, and He wants. Sometimes discipline just needs to happen. And so Jesus reflects this idea that He's full of grace and truth. And I'll give, I'll give you some ideas like this. Like here's grace. God wants to bless you in your finances. How many believe that? That's the grace and generosity and the kindness of God. Here's the truth. Will you be a good steward? Of what I've given you. Because if you're a good steward, then I know you're responsible enough and you can handle more. Like how many of you want God to bless your family? Absolutely. Okay, so we need some family counseling. We're like, uh, maybe discipline. Anyway. You want God to bless your family. So then here's, that's grace, right? It's the goodness and, and generosity of God. Unearned, un- undeserved, right? Just God's goodness towards you. But here, here's truth though. Will you live? Will you, will you lead? Will you respond in God's Ways, Because it's, if you keep doing everything your way or the culture's way and you rebuke or kick back against the ways of God, then it's really, really hard for God to get in and bless your family. Why? Because everything he wants to do, you're kicking against it in some other way. And so all of life works like this. There's this constant balance between grace and truth. Like, like sometimes we pray, God, just change me. God, take this away from me. I don't want this anymore. But then God's like, yeah, but I need you to do your part on I me. Mean, I need you to repent and turn from this too like there's all these balances of grace and truth and this is the justice of god is that yes there is grace he is love he is in passionate pursuit of you and here's here's what you 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 might need to know too god rarely ever punishes you anyway like i need you to know that like god doesn't sit god is not now again go back to everything in your life how you view god if you view god old white man big beard lightning bolt in his hand you've got a bad god picture okay Because God rarely ever punishes you. How many of you have ever been struck by lightning? None of us. So see, look, I told you, no thunderbolt in his hand. My point is, is that God doesn't need to punish you very often because sin has built-in consequences in and of itself. Like, why, why does God even need to punish us when most of the time sin does a perfectly good job? The consequences of sin does a perfectly good job of of bringing those consequences in our life. And that's why God gives these commands to keep you away from that because he is a good and perfect and loving parent. He's trying to protect you from the consequences of sin. So God rarely ever punishes you. He's just, but he, he, he His justice only comes from his love. Are you with me so far? Let's keep going. So that was number, that was number three. Number four is this is that God has a plan. How many of you out there Our planners, raise your hand. You like to have a plan? You like an order? Okay, how many of you like to just wing it? Yeah, I'm a free spirit. I live in the moment. I don't need map directions. I just go for it. Okay, God's a planner for the most part, okay? So just so you know, God's... All those planner people, you know, God's got your back. Um, God has a plan. Here's, Here's what I need you to know. Is that when God created Adam and Eve in the garden... And when they sin, God did not go, oh, Jesus, what are we going to do? Like, literally, because Jesus is there. You know, you're not like, I had no idea. I didn't see this coming. I don't know what we're going to do. Do you know what we're going to do? Do you, Holy Spirit, do you have an idea? God has never been caught off guard. God has always had. A plan. As a matter of fact, if you really read the New Testament one, it says that Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, meaning before there was even a thing that God had a plan because he knew the only way that he could be in a loving relationship with you is to provide you The ability to choose an environment where choice was accessible, but then provide the opportunity for redemption. Watch watch what happens here. So Genesis 3.15 says this. From now on, God is talking to the serpent in this moment. He says, from now on, you and the woman will be at odds. You will be enemies. And your offspring and her offspring will be enemies. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Now, if you don't know the Bible, that is a weird verse. This right here is what we would consider is the very first prophecy in all of Scripture. This is the, and it was given by God, not through a person, just God speaking of itself. And he's saying this, he said, there's something going to happen. Sin has taken place, but here's what's going to happen at some point in the distant and unknown future. I'm going to make a division, a break between the sin of the serpent and that seed and the seed of the woman. And I'm going to separate them. Why do you think Jesus had to be born of a virgin? So that the sin seed that is in every human being doesn't get passed on into the life of the child. He so says, I'm going to break it. And he will crush your head. And you will strike his heel. But somewhere in the distant future, I'm going to send someone into the earth that will make a separation between righteousness and sin. And he's going to crush He's going to whoop you when the time is right. This is the very first prophecy given in all of, all of, all of scripture. And what it is saying is this. Is I want you to know. I can see this coming, and there's a plan in place. Jesus was crucified before the foundations of the earth, even though it hasn't taken place yet. But I'm going to send him into the earth, and he will bring a division between you and the woman. And he will stop this, and he will create a path of redemption. Last one is this, and we'll kind of begin to wrap this up, is that God makes the sacrifice So God has a plan and his plan includes a sacrifice here now in the exact moment that's going on and somewhere in the unknown future. Watch what happens. Verse 21 says this, and the Lord God made clothing from animal skins or from animal skins for Adam and his wife. How do you get animal skins? You got to kill an animal. So who made the sacrifice? God did. That there was a an innocent person involved here, and maybe it was a lamb, maybe it was whatever, we'd we, we assume it could have been a lamb. Isn't that what John the Baptist called Jesus, behold the lamb of God? Isn't that what they sacrificed for thousands of years before Jesus came into the earth and then Jesus shows up and they're like, they, that, that's, that's the lamb of God. That's who brings this whole thing back together. And so God has a plan and his plan includes him making the sacrifice so that you would be covered What a a beautiful thing to think about. Like, that's why this whole thing took place. Like, like the whole reason that you exist is because God is love. He is in passion. I wrote it like this. Let me just read it for you. To sum up, what we're talking about here today is this. Is that God is love. And in passionate pursuit of you. But he is also just, and sin has its consequences. But his justice also... Comes with a plan. And the plan is is that God makes the sacrifice on your behalf, covers you, and then invites you back into a relationship with him. Isn't that what the whole story was about? The whole point of the story is that in the beginning they were with God in perfect relationships. Sin, Sin made a mess of that. But God had a plan, and his plan was that he would make the sacrifice and then invite you back into a relationship with him. What is the story of humanity is that we are lost and need to be found. We are dead and need to be alive again. And we make that happen through the sacrifice that God made. This is really what God is all about. This is the story of grace. This is how God treats you and I. I'm going to give you one last illustration and then we'll pray. Um, my, my son's sitting here on the front row. And we had a, we had a funny moment probably just a couple weeks ago, and um, he he's he's a wonderful kid. He's fantastic in so many ways, um, but he's, he's like any kid. You know, sometimes we make mistakes or we forget or do whatever. And uh, the way it worked out was is that Peyton had had done some stuff or bought some stuff or whatever it was. I can't remember the deal, but he gets an allowance. How many of you got allowances, kids? Or you give it out now? Okay, so you get allowance, right? So his allowance is, is twelve bucks. Okay, well here, here's his problem. He owes his mom, uh, I believe, six. And then he owes me eight. Now what's eight plus six? This isn't common core. You're straight. Just put, just put, just put it, put it together. What's eight plus six, 14. How much does he get? Okay. So what's the problem? There's a deficit, right? You're in debt and the juice is running. I charge interest. No, I'm just kidding. I don't do that. That's my child. Don't charge your kids interest. Okay. Okay. So his, his allowance is 12, but he owes what? Okay. So I reach into my pocket And I see I have eight bucks just sitting there in my pocket, and I say, "Okay, you know what? Your debt with mom canceled. Your debt with me canceled. Here's eight bucks." And you know what he says? What? (laughs) That was what he said. What? Because he was thinking like, I thought this was going to be like super duper crazy grace where you gave me no debt and all my money back, but I only had eight bucks on me, so I'm like, "Here's eight bucks." So he goes, "What?" And I said, "Never mind. Give me three back." And so I took so I took three from him because he said, "What?" I said, how much you got now? He goes, I only got five. Oh, you know, and I said, okay, now I want you to think about this though. How much did you owe? Fourteen. How much were you supposed to get? Twelve. So how much are you in debt? Negative two. How much did you end up with even after I took three away? Five. Wait a minute. This is still really, really good. This is what we call Graysonomics. It's not common core. It's not even just regular old eight plus six. It's grace It's Because here's what I need you to know. You owe a debt and you don't even have the ability to pay it. But Jesus shows up and says, You know what? I'll cancel your debt and I'll even bless you on top of that. And that's Grace Anomics. That you still end up with more than you would have ever gotten on your own. You still end up incredibly blessed. And you know what the most important thing is? Is that He lives with me. And He is with me and always has all that I have. Are you with me today? That's the beauty of economics. is that you owed a debt that you couldn't pay, and Jesus paid a debt that he didn't owe so that you might have a life, and life to the fullest. That is the nature and the instinct of our Heavenly Father. And our understanding of that should hopefully so change us from the inside out that our response... Is not that we live in a state a state of guilt or even in a state of debt, but we live in a state of gratitude where our whole life from this part forward is just saying, Hey God, how can I respond to your goodness, your kindness, and your generosity? Because God is love. Let's pray this morning. Yeah, go ahead and give the Lord a big hand clap this morning. let us pray this morning. Dear God, we thank you so much. God, I pray that from this story, we just catch a glimpse that, that, that it wasn't thunderbolts and lightning and fire and brimstone. God, there was pursuit. You were walking, you were calling, you're knocking, you're inviting us into a relationship with you. God, I pray that we would respond to that. God, help us to open up our heart to you. God, help us to open up our lives to you and to just say yes, to open up the door and invite you in and have a relationship with you. God, help us to know that you are love and that you are in passionate pursuit of us. God. And even, though there's justice, God, that the, the mercy outweighs the justice. And above all, we get to be with you both here and now in this place and planet and God for eternity evermore. God, we pray, God, that we would walk out of this place knowing who you are, that you are love and that you are with us, God. Father, that is our prayer today in Jesus name. And we all said, and can we give the Lord a big gratitude? Just a big God bless you, a big thank you, God. Come on, you can do a little bit better than that.